love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I had the weirdest dream last night. Oh? Yeah. I dreamed my uncle, my uncle, he died like 10 years ago. I dreamed that my uncle was trying to cross over from the other side to get a message to me. Mm -hmm. And I was in this sort of restaurant area And he kept beckoning me over to this table. And I knew, even though he didn't say anything to me, I knew that he had a message to to me from from beyond. Okay. That's in my in my dream. That's what I what I perceived it as. So I sat down at the table and I said, what is it? And he said, I need to tell you this. Dora, the explorer is evil. <laughs> and I said to him, I know. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? And then I woke up. Wow. Yeah. 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 It was That's, weird. You know, I had a very strange dream last night as well. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye and yep. I got kicked out of an Olive Garden because we wouldn't <laughs> stop dancing. <laughs> There's a uh, no dancing policy at Olive Garden. I guess. Uh-huh. Prudes. Dancing at Olive Garden with Jonathan Van Ness. <laughs> it was glorious. Well, you ha- you have been binge watching Queer Eye. I have been. Yes. Have you taken a break from that to uh, to come up with a topic for today? Because you go first. I do. I do have something to talk about today. Very excited. Uh, here we go. So, in 1877, Japan's Meiji Emperor watched his aunt the princess of Kazu, die of a very common malady. It's called kak. It's K-A-K-K-E, kake. Uh, if her condition sounds like a funny word, it's not. It's I'm K-A-K-K-E. Trying not, I'm trying not to laugh. Kake. In her condition was very common. Her legs would uh, be very swollen. Uh, she was uh, experiencing slurred speech. She had numbness. Uh, paralysis came along next. There was twitching and vomiting. And death often uh, resulted from heart failure. The emperor had actually suffered from the same ailment on and off for his whole life. And he was very invested in finding a cure for this because unlike most of the uh, 
uh, really prevalent diseases of the day or disorders of the day, this mostly affected the wealthy. So the what? emperor was very interested in finding a cure. <laughs> sure, of course he was. Right. It was targeting, it appeared, the wealthy, the well-off, especially uh, city dwellers. Was it called affluenza? Oh, no, but close. Ah. It did have another name called Edo Wazuri. And uh, we'll call it just Edo because the second part of that's hard to say. (laughs) Um, And that basically meant the affliction of Edo, which that city um, had a lot of people who were affected by this. Interesting. The earliest mentions of the disease are from ancient China in the context of Chinese medicine. So one of the earliest is by uh, Ji Hong um, and his book, which was called Emergency Formulas to Keep Up Your Sleeve, which I think is an amazing name for a book. <laughs> and this was written when? Um, like in 600 or something like that. It was, you know, wow. it was a long time ago. That's a great title for something written back in those days. And Hong called the illness by its name which can be interpreted as foot chi um, because it did result in loss of feeling in your limbs and foot paralysis. And anyway, so he described the symptoms, including swelling, weakness, numbness, of course, of the feet and claimed that it could be cured by eating certain foods like fermented soybeans and wine. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of things in wine do make you feel better. That's true. That's not. (laughs) It's not a cure. It just masks the symptoms. (laughs) More examples of foot chi are by uh, Chao Yongfang, uh, who lived during 550 to 630. And in his book called uh, Sources and Symptoms of All Diseases, and then uh, by Sun Simio in his book titled Essential Emergency Formulas Worth a Thousand in Gold. Now, these are translations, of course, but mm-hmm. I, I think that that's how all books should be named from now on. <laughs> in his book, about the disease. Alexander R. Bay talked about theories and thoughts on it. Um, it was also known as beriberi. And it had a lot of names because it occurred in a lot of different areas. It affected a lot of people. And of course, they're all discovering the symptoms, which can be very varied at different times. So it's called the uh, Edo disease. It's got beriberi. It's called the foot cheese. Every time you say that, I think you're going to say foot cheese. No, it's for, not for some foot reason. cheese. That would be terrible. <laughs> it's really a gross thought. I think from now on, we'll call it, we'll refer to it as beriberi. This okay. is the disorder we're talking about. And to me, that sounds like a Kool-Aid flavor. It's not. It's terrible. So a common suspect of, uh, what's the thing? Beriberi. <laughs> beriberi. Okay. Something that a lot of people thought was causing this disease was dampness or damp ground. And of course, uh, in this time, uh, during the early 1700s, 1800s, there wasn't understood exactly what caused most diseases. Well, it, uh, the popular theory was odors. Right, exactly. Bad, foul smells. Exactly. And so the dampness in the air, damp ground uh, was thought to be a cause. And of course, it wasn't just a Japanese problem. As I mentioned, uh, there are many accounts in India in the 1790s and in the 1800s by an army physician named Thomas Christie. He accounted the influx of this disorder showing up uh, during the British occupation of an island called Ceylon. 
He cited moisture, impure air, despondency, and dirtiness as possibly being a cause, but he primarily attributed the disease as a want of stimulating and nourishing diet. They referred to it a lot as being very much like scurvy. Okay. And they thought that maybe it was scurvy-like, so a lot of people tried to treat it with like limes, right. um, but it didn't work. Which is, by the way, why the, the slang word for British sailors is limey. Limeys. Right. Yeah, because they they ate limes. It's a very literal. It's considered derogatory, right? Oh, I guess. Yeah. I guess that may be how it's generally heard, like yeah. in movies and stuff. Maybe. But maybe that's just because you're watching it from the perspective of someone who would have not liked those sailors. Well, all of my views of the world are shaped by movies. So that's fair. Of course. One of the first movies in my William Shatner uh, movie-a-thon was a pirate movie that he was in way back in the day. It was so cute. I love him. That's not the point. Cat Cat made an effort to watch every single TV show or film that Shatner has has done. And uh, you didn't complete the cycle. I did not. But you were pretty impressive in your dedication Thank to it. Thank you. I watched a lot of TV at work. Okay. <laughs> so uh, looking at India in the 1830s, John Malcolmson, an assistant surgeon, he wrote a practical essay. And he noted that a marked seasonality of the disorder uh, might have something to do with it, ah. which he attributed to the weather, to the air, increased rains, et cetera, et cetera. One doctor administered herbal medicines and a fasting regimen for the disease, which is really unfortunate considering that one of the symptoms is anorexia. So hmm. to encourage a fasting regimen for that, it just didn't work. Mm. Some remedies, though, did work, even if they didn't really come from an understanding of the disease, which I always find interesting. Mm. Like you treat it with this and it works, but not because of the things that you think it does. Right. Wait. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Katsuki Goyazan, an early 18th century doctor, believed that beriberi was caused by water and soil and that only by going back to your home outside of the city would you be cured because it was the city air and city soil that was the problem. So you need to return to the soil that you're familiar with. That's right. A number of physicians uh, had prescribed barley and red beans, which had some success in solving the issue, but it was very short term. And it it probably created flatulence. Of course. Extreme flatulence. Um, Well, I wouldn't say extreme. I eat barley and red beans all the time. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in the late 19th century, beriberi was studied by Takaki Kanihiro, a British-trained Japanese medical doctor of the Imperial Japanese Navy. Now, beriberi was a serious problem in the Japanese Navy. No longer had it, no longer was it affecting just the upper class, just the wealthy. All of a sudden, it started affecting the Navy as well, which was a really interesting turn. People outside of the elite were starting to really become affected by this. And in 1883, Takiki learned of a very high incidence of beriberi along cadets in a training mission from Japan to Hawaii uh, via New Zealand and South America. So the voyage lasted more than nine months and resulted in 169 cases of the sickness and 25 deaths on board this ship. Wow. 
So with the support of the Japanese Navy, Takiki conducted an experiment in which another ship was deployed along the same route, except that the crew was fed a diet of meat, fish, barley, rice, and beans. And at the end of that voyage, that crew had only 14 cases of beriberi. And those 14 cases were in sailors who had not followed the diet. Okay. All right. So their their hunch that it was scurvy like was was pretty much dead on yeah it it really was and at this point takaki was thinking it was protein related Mm -hmm. and he had tried a a lot of different foods to get that protein and some worked and some didn't so he was really struggling to kind of pinpoint what was going on here but the results of this experiment did convince him and the japanese navy that diet was the cause so it's 1884 and he observed that beriberi was common among low-ranking crew who were often provided free rice and they didn't really eat much of anything else now this is interesting because originally it affected upper class rich people Mm -hmm. and so now it's like lower level navy personnel Mm -hmm. okay i'm I'm following you you. are okay you're getting there go so he noticed that the people in the crew who are a little more higher up in the ranks who had been consuming a more varied diet were not suffering from uh-huh, this. Uh-huh. Slowly but surely, it was discovered that the cause of this scourge was rice. Really? So, killer rice. To be more specific, fine, polished white rice. Now, it wasn't that rice was causing this issue. It was that people were eating very little other than this rice. Rice was a status symbol. White rice was expensive and laborious to husk, hull, polish, and wash. So it was the elite who had this fancy, shiny, beautiful, clean white rice, and they ate very little else. Now, the poor ate brown rice or other carbs, such as sweet potatoes or barley. The rich stuck to this beautiful, shiny white rice uh-huh. and died. <laughs> so this was the problem. Uh, removing the outer layers of the grains of rice removed the vital nutrient of thiamine or vitamin B1. So what had changed that made this no longer a disease that affected just the elite? Machine milling. Mm -hmm. Um, It made polished white rice available to the masses. And as the government invested in the army and the navy, it fed soldiers white rice. They actually lured people into the army and navy by saying you can have as much white rice as you want. You can eat until you're stuffed. Or die. Well, they didn't know. They didn't know. Right. So... Mm. Brown rice or barley would go rancid in warm weather much, much faster than this highly processed white rice. So it was a great change for the Navy and the Army to invest in tons and tons and tons of white rice and shovel it into their people who were more than excited to shovel it into their mouths. Exactly. Especially since it had been considered such a status yeah. symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they're all like, this is fancy yeah. and I can have all that I want. And now I'm dying now. So it's 1897 and Christian Eichmann a Dutch physician and pathologist whose name I just butchered, demonstrated (laughs) that beriberi is caused by poor diet and discovered that feeding unpolished rice instead of the polished variety to chickens helped 
prevent beriberi. Because, yeah, beriberi can be a, a thing for birds, too. Interesting. Also, cows. Also, snakes that consume a largely... Uh, uh, a diet largely made up of goldfish and feeder minnows were highly susceptible to developing a thiamine deficiency. No kidding. Takaki became Navy Surgeon General in 1885, and other doctors were kind of attacking his theory that white rice was the issue, and it was largely a social thing because it was such a part of their culture. They didn't like the idea right. that it, it but they're not, he's not saying don't eat rice, he's saying don't eat just rice. Anyway, recruits were really digging on this all-the-rice-you-can-eat thing. But uh, during the Russo-Japanese War in 1904, Beriberi killed 27,000 soldiers. Whoa. Compared to 47,000 men killed by actual war wounds. No kidding. So half as many people were killed by Beriberi as the war itself. So finally, barley became a vital battlefield ration, and they started to kind of accept that Mm. this was the case. And um, as they started to vary their diet more as as a nation, um, and and as well in India, uh, where this was very prevalent, it petered out, and it's really not an issue anymore, except for birds. There have recently, uh, like I think it was 2010, been outbreaks of thiamine deficiencies in birds in Sweden, and they're just dying all the time, and it's really weird. Just Swedish birds? Yeah. Why? I don't know, but they're looking into it. My God. Yeah, it's weird. Now, if somebody came down with this affliction, is it reversible? I mean, if, if they just lived on a diet of rice and they got sick, if they took vitamins or very absolutely so you could recover from it yeah again much like scurvy yeah. like the emperor he would have bouts of it you know he it would all of a sudden be affecting him and then it wouldn't mm. so maybe he had a nice cucumber sandwich one day <laughs> and he was like you know i feel better but i'm not going to connect to this to my diet at all because i can have all the polished rice i want i'm emperor so anyway that is how the process of machine milling rice ended up finding a cure for thiamine deficiency interesting yeah i'm just wondering if my steady diet of doritos is going to have a similar effect it's really becoming a problem Mm. it's the part of the podcast that bakes for 15 minutes at 400 degrees and smells vaguely of venison and leftover cabbage this is that thing in the middle Here are some of the world's most unusual ice cream flavors. Number five, raw horseflesh. Yes, there's an amusement park in Tokyo, and they have uh, various flavors of ice cream. One of the most popular is raw horseflesh. They also sell cow tongue. Number four, bourbon and (laughs) cornflake. A classic combination Mm -hmm. that you just can't get enough of. You can get this delicious flavor in San Francisco. You'll need to make room for that signature secret breakfast, cornflake and bourbon ice cream. Can we go there and get bourbon and cornflake ice cream, please? Absolutely. I think you would like it. You like bourbon. I do, and I like cornflakes. It sounds like breakfast of a fraternity brother, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) Number three, pear and blue cheese. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. This ice cream comes from Salt and Straw in Portland, Oregon. Pear and blue cheese flavor. Number two, corn on the cob. Well, ew. (laughs) That's all that you have to say about that. Yep. And finally, number one, a really strange ice cream flavor, ghost pepper. 
Now, I would be interested in trying I that. I think I would, too. You know, because you've got the heat and the cold. Mm. That would be weird. Can we go get ice cream? This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer life may be like a box of chocolates but this is the box of oddities i can't believe it's august already and we are now looking at just weeks away from our mini halloween tour yay first date is going to be october the 16th in san francisco the 27th in boston the 29th in charlotte and the 30th halloween eve if you will in nashville 
You can get your tickets at theboxofoddities.com, and we really hope to see you at uh, one of our shows, or, or more if you like. Also, we just ordered some merch, and we're going to have Box of Oddities beer koozies at the show, uh, and I'm very excited about that. That's a first for us. <laughs> All right, I'm going to spin you a tale. Here we go. I love a tale. It's about a woman whose name was Barbara Ernie. Now, she was born to... Homeless parents back in 1743. Okay. And according to Atlas Obscura, it was in the town of Feldkirch, Austria. Now that's somewhere between the border of Switzerland and uh, Liechtenstein. It must have been terrible to be homeless at that time in history. I can't imagine being homeless at all, but in 1743, where do you go for help? Right. So Barbara Erne made the best of her impoverished upbringing. Um, She was a very beautiful young lady. She had this lovely strawberry blonde hair, and that earned her the nickname the Golden Boo. The Golden Boo. That's Mm -hmm. sweet. Mm -hmm. Now, this is according to Barbara Green, who wrote in her book, Lichtenstein, Valley of Peace. Erne disappeared from the area for some time. She grew to the point where she was old enough to leave home. Well, she didn't have a home, but to leave the family and uh, struck out on her own. And she disappeared for quite some time. And when she returned, she was dressed like royalty. She possessed what town people saw as nearly superhuman strength. What? That allowed her to tramp around the European countryside with an enormous treasure chest strapped to her back. It was a giant trunk filled with treasures from from jewels to gold coins. No one knew where she had gone when she went missing for all that time. And nobody knew what happened to her to transform her into what seemed to be a very wealthy and seemingly super strong, almost superhero type strength. I'm so confused. Is this a true story? Because it sounds very much like the beginning of a fairy tale. No, it's true. And then the redheaded girl came back to the hometown covered in jewels with strong arms and strong back. Yeah. I don't know why I said it like that. But anyway. It worked. Okay, thank you. It was all very mysterious. The the, uh, local townsfolk suspected that something supernatural had taken place. Some said it was sorcery. Others that uh, she had made a deal with the devil. <laughs> You're making an obscene gesture with your finger in a, in a circle. I mean, if she yeah. got quick money, you know, I'm just wondering where it came from. Uh-huh. That's all. Uh-huh. Others Good said, you, girl. <laughs> others said she had uh, become an alchemist. Oh, 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 and could turn uh, yep. everyday items into guild. But somehow she had managed to create the philosopher's stone. Now, According to Wikipedia, the Philosopher's Stone, if you're not familiar with, with this, and I think most people are, it's a legendary substance that's capable of turning base metals like mercury into gold or silver. Um, it also is called the elixir of life. It's useful for rejuvenation and uh, for achieving immortality for many centuries. It was the most sought after goal in alchemy. Right. Cause it, but it's not a thing. The Philosopher's Stone was the central symbol of the mystical terminology of alchemy, symbolizing perfection at its finest, enlightenment, heavenly bliss. Efforts to discover the Philosopher's Stone were known as the magnum opus or 
the great work. So a lot of people thought maybe that's where that's what she went away. She learned uh, alchemy and blah. Sure. But the fact remained that nobody really knew for sure. But they all revered Barbara. You know, she seemed to have it all. She had beauty and um, youth and strength and vitality. See, that's the thing, though, is if you don't know where you where she got it from, how can you revere her? This was the it, 1700s. I'm just saying, if you don't know how someone got their wealth, then it's not them. Their being wealthy is does not inherently make them something special. You just it's but, how they got it. But these were people that didn't bathe. Oh, all right. You know, good point. <laughs> <laughs> but even though she had these amazing riches and all this going for her, she was a bit odd. Locals would see her walking through the fields in her in a beautiful gown, carrying this large treasure chest on her back, just wandering about. One day, she was seen approaching a nearby town, and she was in her gown, and she was carrying this trunk on her back. Now, this day, she did something different. She didn't just keep walking through the town. She actually stopped at an inn, a local inn. And the people were just thrilled, you know, that she was gracing them with her presence. Oh, that wow. She had stopped in their town. And so she checked into, uh, into the inn. People approached her, but nobody would touch her. They seemed to revere her and worship oh. her. They, they were like worshiping her. What are you doing? I'm averting my eyes, sir. Well, stop it. So she checks in and before turning in for bed... She asked the innkeeper if he would watch the treasure chest for her while she slept. The, the chest was far too valuable to leave unattended in her room while she was sleeping with you know minimal security. So the innkeeper said he had a secure room, had no windows, it was all locked up, it would keep people out. He offered to store her, her treasure chest in this room and guaranteed it would remain safe. Wouldn't you think that it would be more safe like with you? I like, would. Rather than handing it off to some rando. But this was the 1700s. And they didn't bathe. You're right. right. You're right. So he takes the uh, trunk and he locks it in this room and she goes to sleep. The next morning, a knock on the door. It's the innkeeper. And he has... Um, bad news? Bad news. Trunk's gone? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had the unenviable job of telling her that uh, when he went to retrieve her trunk the morning, that morning, the door to the safe room was unlocked and Ernie's trunk had vanished along with some of his own valuables. Sure. Well, you have to take some of your own stuff out of there, too. So it makes it look like it wasn't an inside <laughs> job. The innkeeper and the local residents, they all rallied around the golden boo. Um, they scoured the uh, countryside. They looked for any signs of the trunk or anybody who may have taken it. They um, investigated local, locally known rapscallions. <laughs> Sure. And nobody, nobody could find any evidence of the missing trunk. It wasn't until a day or so later that the trunk was spotted in a farmer's field and it was empty. So the trunk itself. Just the trunk. Yeah, yeah okay. it was empty. Even though it was empty, it was returned to, uh, to Barbara, the golden boo, if you will. And she just disappeared. She was obviously pretty distraught about it. A few weeks later, she returned with her trunk and it was again full of treasure. The Interesting. Lo the locals were convinced that she was an alchemist. Now she stopped at another inn for that uh, for the evening, and the innkeeper had heard about this theft and things that had happened before, and he offered to make sure that her trunk would be safe. Excuse me, no, no, thank you, sir. 
Oh man, she's going to get robbed again. She was reluctant because of her previous experience, of course, but the innkeeper was pretty persistent and he assured her that what had happened at the last inn would never happen at his inn because his inn was far superior to the previous inn. Right, and he also wanted all the stuff in her trunk and had heard how easy it was to steal from her. The next morning... Oh, come on! Knock at the door. Barbara was shocked. The innkeeper uh, said he had some bad news. Really? Because no one else is shocked, Barbara. Someone had broken into the safe room again and cleaned it out, taking not only Barbara's trunk, but other valuable items that they found. Barbara disappeared from town after that and was never seen there again. She was spotted in other parts of the country from time to time over the years, but no one in that area saw her again, ever. And then she just kind of disappeared until 15 years later, in May of 1784, when authorities apprehended her in a town called Eschen in northern Liechtenstein and moved her to a holding cell in the capital city. It turns out, okay. well, Barbara Ernie's real treasure was a tiny little man that she stowed in the trunk and uh, would emerge during the night. After <gasps> and he'd be- steal. Yep. <gasps> It was a little guy. She just had a little guy in the trunk and she would con the innkeepers into keeping the trunk in their valuable room. Barbara! (laughs) Oh my gosh! This is the best story I've ever heard! She did this. I mean, that's cruel and not how you treat people, but I'm sure she gave him a cut. Yeah, oh, no, she, no, she did. No, they were partners. Whoa. According to Dan Davies in his book, Lying for Money, How Legendary Frauds Reveal the Workings of Our World, they would lock the trunk up. The little guy would pop out of the trunk, rifle through whatever seemed worth taking, put it in the trunk, and then open the door and leave with the trunk. The man's identity is lost to history, but he was also apprehended and put in the same cell as Barbara. Uh, During the court trial, Ernie pleaded guilty to 17 separate burglaries. The two were sentenced to death by beheading. Oh my God. On September 7th, 1784, Ernie lost her golden strawberry blonde hair and the rest of her head. I just, it's like a Trojan horse kind of situation, but with a tiny man. (laughs) Yep. She earned the dubious superlative of being the last person to be executed in Liechtenstein until the country abolished its death penalty in 1987. Oh, wow. You could still be executed in Liechtenstein, but from 1784 to 1987, uh, nobody was. And the last person was Barbara Ernie. And the little guy in the trunk. Wow. That is <laughs> remarkable. Yeah, that's quite a tale, huh? I have never heard of that. Mm. Even a little bit. Wow. Well. It's such a simple con. It reminds me of one of those like word problems. Like, um, okay, so a plane crashes in the woods and the pilot is has to take his son to a doctor. And the doctor says, I can't operate on this kid because the kid is my son. And then all of a sudden there's an ice pick that's melted in the floor. You know, (laughs) no, I have no idea what you just said. But what I love about it is clearly these two are grifters. Yeah. And they had this unique partnership 
They had met up years before when she was homeless and had concocted this whole thing. And even though it was such a simple con, it worked for like 15, 16, 17 years. Well, yeah, because no one thinks, hey, maybe she's got a tiny man in her (laughs) trunk. Carrying her out on her back. Ultimately, she was uh, found out because uh, she was so wealthy. She started living very extravagantly. And up until that point, she had uh, kind of kept it to herself. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, she just stopped being careful. And it raised a lot of suspicions. And they started uh, investigating and uh, found out that uh, she was doing this. That's glorious. And then a little man popped out. Wow. I feel like I was just on some sort of thrill ride. <laughs> You're a delight. I am I am just just tickled. <laughs> I'm glad. The box of oddities two times a week two on times. Your, on your phone, we're in your pocket whether you like it or not. Well, no, I mean if you don't like it, then you don't have to have it in your pocket. The box of oddities, it's on your phone a couple of times a week. I mean, if if you invite us in. We're like vampires that way. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus... Tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.